Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today is episode 66, and we're going to be interviewing Drew E. How are you doing today, Drew? I'm doing well. How's it going today? I'm doing well also. Uh, so let's just dive in here. Now tell me a little bit about yourself growing up and things that happened to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I grew up in almost what you want to call a, a normal home. You know, I had a mom and I had a dad. They, they were married, um, had you know, marital problems, just like anybody else. Um, I'd like to think of it grew up pretty normally, you know, no major problems or major trauma. Um, you know, unbeknownst to myself when I was, when I was growing up, you know, between the ages, probably a five and, uh, 13 or 14. Um, I didn't know that my dad was a recovering alcoholic. Uh, he had, had been sober for quite some time, you know, probably from the time I was like two years old. And it wasn't until, you know, when I was a teenager that I noticed that he had been drinking beer. I was like, Oh, I didn't know you drink beer or anything like that. And he kind of just played it off. And it wasn't until, you know, until I was 14, 15, I realized like, oh, I think this is a potential problem. Did your mom say anything? Was your mom? No, it was, it was never really brought up. Um, you know, my mom was well aware that my dad had problems and there was probably a lot of infighting, you know, behind the scenes and things like that uh, behind what he was doing. Um, but it wasn't until I was, I want to say in seventh or eighth grade where he went to, um, you know, he went to rehab for, went away for about a month, came back, was sober for, you know, maybe a year. And then by the time I was in my, you know, mid teens, he, he, he had been drinking again. And, at the know, time he went, at the time he went to rehab, you were said you said you were in eighth grade. At some, that, something like that. Yeah. At that point, did you know what rehab was or was it like daddy's uh, sick or how'd they tell you? It was just the... It was just, I knew it was a way he had just had to go somewhere just to get better. I mean, I was old enough to to at least understand what an alcoholic was, not necessarily everything that it does to you, but hey, you know, I I can't control, you know, what I'm doing and and my behaviors and and stuff like that when when I'm drinking and stuff and stuff. Uh, He also gambled a lot, but I wasn't, I I had no idea that was really an issue. Um, I had always just been more focused on, you know, his his trouble with alcohol and stuff like that. And whenever, you know, he was drinking, he, he, you know, pretty lax and, uh, his parental responsibilities, which I never really held against him. Um, you know, it took a, a long time for me to realize that he was making a lot of poor decisions. And I always felt like I was kind of like one of the only people on his side where my siblings were, you know, not so forgiving. And it was such a weird thing because both my parents died when I was um, 18 years old. And I think about it now, if my, and it's a horrible thing to think sometimes, but if my father was still alive, I, I think there w- would have been eventually a lot of resentment um, cause I mean, you never know people can change and things like that, but I would imagine he'd probably still be drinking today. And if I had that extra 15 years of, you know, becoming an adult, seeing what he's doing, maybe letting me down time and time again, there could be resentment there, but it's, it's something I'll never know. Right. So the things I remember about, you know, specifically my dad are generally good things. He, he had problems, he had demons, but at the end of the day, he, he was a good guy uh, and he, and he wanted to do what was best, but he couldn't overcome that all the time. Gotcha. And you said your uh, siblings were not as forgiving. How were they reacting to all this? Uh, they just disappointed all the time. And, you know, my sister's uh, four years older than me. My brother's a couple of years younger than me. And they would always just be annoyed with him and always, um, you know, say, you know, why is dad messing up all the time? I was like, you know, he's not messing up. He's, you know, I, I always gave him the benefit of the doubt for no reason in particular. Um, I, I, I don't know why I think about it now. And I was always like, you know, Maybe because like we, we had a pretty good bond, you know, over sports and things like that. We loved watching me play basketball. We loved going to games, doing stuff so all the time. So I would try to focus on 
the good things that were happening all the time, not necessarily the bad things. And I would kind of just, whenever he did something that was, you know, messed up and I, I don't would know it was messed up. I would just kind of sweep it under the rug for, and I don't know why that is. It's just, I, I just wanted him, you know, wanted my dad to be my dad, have him be my friend, things like that. And I thought that was the best way to, to, to handle the situation. So your siblings were not as forgiving. Did they ever, did you ever think that maybe it was because they were older and they understood more than you and you were kind of, I guess, naive to the situation because you were so much younger or I just think they reacted? It's definitely possible. I mean, my sister was four years older than me. My brother's actually younger, but he didn't have a great relationship. Like they were always kind of butting heads. My, my, my brother was always um, more so the rebellious type. So he always had to kind of be, you know, dealt with in one way or another, if he was getting trouble in school or sneaking out or doing something or whatnot. So he was always butting heads with my dad and my sister was, um, you know, she had four years on me. So, you know, understanding, you know, when she's 18, I'm 14, not really understanding, you know, that my dad's making lots of poor decisions. So she would look at it that way. It's like, Hey, you know, I'm practically an adult here and I know all these things you're doing are, are, are really bad and it's affecting us. You know, why are you doing this? And I, I just couldn't really grasp that. How did you do in school and so and also social situations? Um, school is fine. I was always a relatively good student. You know, nothing. I was a little lazy, lazy in high school, but I, you know, I got by. You know, I went to, you know, I went to college after my my parents passed. I, I did well enough when I once I realized, you know, I was paying for credits. I had to, you know, otherwise I'm just throwing money away. So I always did well there. Um, social. I was always a little shy. Social situations were a little challenging for me. Um, especially once I got a little older into my early twenties, I would kind of just want to withdraw and not other, unless it was my super close friends. And I have like three or four, you know, really good buddies, uh, really struggle with meeting new people. Um, and, and when I had to just, you know, a lot of awkwardness, a lot of being quiet, not, not making conversation and just, you know, kind of being the guy just hung out in the corner when I had to be out in those situations and just try to avoid as much contact as possible. Do you think that being so, I guess, I guess it could be a sense of insecurity. Do you think that ever led to you using drugs and alcohol? Um, it's, I, I think so, because I had, I had dated somebody through high school, through college, ended up getting married to them. And what ended up happening was I, I, I almost used it as a crutch. And then I was like, Hey, I have you, you're, you know, you're my rock, you know, we're, we live together, we do all these good things. And at some point I just decided that, you know, that was good enough and I didn't have to, you know, put myself in situations where I could, I could meet people and socialize. And, you know, ultimately I would let my girlfriend, fiance, and then wife do all of those things go out. And I would never want to do that. And when I was dragged out to do it, I would be miserable. And not only was I miserable, I would, you know, make the people around me miserable because I was being so weird about it. And it finally got to the point of, and when I do that enough and I want to, have, want to have so much solitude and not go out, I, you know, for me, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't drugs or alcohol. I just, I, I turned around one day and, and I said, Hey, there's this cool thing. I can, I can gamble online. I can, I can do this. I can do that. And I found this thing that I could do for hours upon hours by myself past time. And it was, it was something that gave me like a sense of purpose. It, it made me feel, um, safe and secure, even though, you know, ultimately something that was really innocent at first and then turns into something that I'm doing for hours upon hours, you know, blowing money away, making really poor decisions on a, you know, a daily basis. 
swearing I'll never do it again. And then the next day I go and do it again. Um, it was smiles, just, I know all about that. <laughs> I agree. Um, it's just, it, it's just awful, you know, just making one bad decision after another and then knowing, Hey, I should really stop and saying, well, I don't really want to stop or I kind of want to stop, but I don't know how to stop and I can't stop. So I'm going to keep doing it. And I'm so far in, I just want to keep going. I might as well keep going because there's no point of turning around at this point. Cause I'm not going to make it any better by stopping. When was the first time you ever used? Um, I mean, again, it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't a drugs or alcohol thing, but I started, I started gambling compulsively, like through, what is it, 2022, like three or four years ago. So your main addiction is gambling, gambling. Yes. Um, you know, it wasn't, I could have easily turned to the alcohol or drugs or something like that, but for whatever reason, it was gambling. And I don't know why that was. It, I think had I turned the other way, it could have been something that something else, but gambling for me just became an escape. You know, I could sit in front of the computer for 20 hours a day or, you know, 10 hours and just blink and then it'll be over. I would play in softball leagues and I would just skip games just because I was, you know, on a binge of just playing and playing and playing and winning and losing and trying to catch up and just just trying to fix all of this crazy stuff. And it was just absolutely unreal. I, I stay, and then not being, you know, staying up all night, being tired and not being able to sleep because I'm worrying about all the money that I've lost and saying, my wife's going to kill me when she figures out that I've done this. And I can't tell her that. I'm just going to have to figure out how to get it all back. That was, that was the hard part. And then a lot of times I'm assuming, and I could be wrong. I shouldn't assume I'm a, that you go back and think you're going to win all your money back. Oh yeah. At some point, you know, I like get just one more bet. This time I'll win. Th this time I'll win because I've lost 19 pans in a row or 19 spins in a row. So I'm due for a hot streak. You know, uh, reds come out 20 times in a row. So the 21st, it, you know, blacks due to come out. It has to, you know, it's the law of averages. And no matter how many times I would try to win, I can't win because even when I won, it wouldn't be enough. I could win, you know, a million dollars and, you know, I would want to win 2 million or 10 million, you know, for, for gamblers, it doesn't, you know, money is irrelevant because it doesn't matter if you make $10,000 a year or a hundred thousand dollars a year, a million dollars a year, because whatever you can get your hands on is what you're going to gamble with. So, you know, when someone comes in, I go to lots of GA rooms and, and GA doesn't, you know, encourage talking about how much you've lost because your thousand could be 10,000 to somebody else. You know, you're just going to, you're just going to gamble away what you can get your hands on or what you can steal or what you can borrow from people or what you, you make it work. Right. So like the money itself is irrelevant. It's just, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Um, everybody's the same because for whatever reason, it's, it's something that we do that we can't stop. Um, and I, like for me, I gambled, you know, initially people gambled, like, oh, you know, I want to play, it's kind of fun, you know, I can win some money or something like that. But eventually it just became a coping mechanism for me because I never realized how I was supposed to communicate with people and how I was supposed to talk with people and talk, especially when things weren't going well, saying, hey, you know, I'm feeling down right now, I'm feeling sad or mad right now. Like for me, I always pretended to be this happy-go-lucky guy where everything was perfect all the time and I was always, everything was always chipper. And that's just not realistic. You know, life, life is great, but life can stink too. You can have bad days, you can have good days. And, you know, you're going to get a mix of those all the time. You might get 10 bad days in a row. But, you know, ultimately it's like how we cope with life on life's terms. 
in deciding, you know, what I'm going to do to better myself. So for me, it's in the, in the yellow book for Gamblers Anonymous, there's a question saying, Hey, is it important to know why we gambled? And it's the, the answer is a little unclear, but for me, I think it's inherently important. Um, cause if I know why I wanted to gamble in the first place, then I know what I need to work on with myself in general, because, you know, in the 12 steps, there's only one that's actually about gambling. The rest two through 12 are about, you know, making character changes in your life to, to live a better life and ultimately not want to do something self-destructive to begin with. Because if I don't do that, you know, not only am I going to gamble, but I could do something else that's destructive. I could, you know, start doing drugs and not being able to stop doing, I mean, I'm thoroughly convinced if I, if I did any sort of drug, I would just, I would be hooked right away because I, I have that kind of personality. So, so ultimately it's just like character changes, trying to make the right decision each day. And, you know, by the grace of God, I've, I've put together two and a half years uh, of recovery. And I, and I think, you know, I think my higher power every day that I'm here. Um, there was a point where I didn't want to live anymore because I didn't want to know how to get out of what I was doing. You know, I had to lose everything to, to gain everything. You know, I lost my house. Um, I went through a divorce. And those are all things that, that I caused. Um, those are things that are my fault that I have to live with. And on one hand, I'm like, man, that's a big bummer that that happened to me. And I'm not happy that that happened. But the other hand, you know, it sounds kind of weird and it's, it's kind of hard for people to understand. Like I am happy that happened because it brought me here and I'm, I'm a better person today. So if I had to go through all that to be the version of myself that I enjoy looking at in the mirror each day, then, then that's good. Um, that's who I want to be. And so if I can wake up, you know, wake up today and try to do something better than I did yesterday. Great. And, you know, I fail a lot of time. Like tomorrow I might wake up and make bad decisions and, not be a good person, but try to be cognizant of that and try to be better the next day. You know, it's, it's progress, you know, you can't be perfect. So don't try to be perfect. Just try to be better than you were yesterday. Um, that's like the only advice that I can give to people is just try to do something a little bit better than you did yesterday. That's great. So what does gambling feel like? What's like the actual feeling as far as, you know, what you're thinking at the time? I mean, maybe it's a physical feeling like a pleasure or something. What's the feeling of gambling that you're chasing? Um, I mean, and I know there's some like scientific studies around this, but like a lot of people when they make, you know, when it, for me, it was like when I would put a bet on the table and it, it was playing something or spinning a wheel. And once it started spinning and it was in the unknown, like I, it almost felt like an endorphin rush. And I'd have this, I don't know if I want to call it a high, but just like a rush of excitement and, and, and good feelings of not knowing what was going to happen. So like having that action in there just gave me this, this feeling of, being all powerful and not knowing whether I was going to win or, or lose was that was better than actually when I won. Like when I won, it felt kind of exciting, but then I just, I would have to do it again to get that, that, that feeling of excitement and then doing it, you know, similar to a drug addict or something where you have to do more of a certain drug to get a high. Like I would have to bet more amounts of money to get that feeling of excitement of like, Oh man, I bet this much yeah. amount of money. I gotta, I, I gotta do more because I'm not, you know, I, I can't bet $1 a hand anymore because that doesn't do anything for me. I got to bet X amount of dollars a hand until, you know, it gets to the point where it's something ridiculous. So each time it's just a little more. And it's crazy because what they tell me is, you know, Hey, if you decide to go back out there, you're not going to go and play $1 hand. you're going to go back to whatever you were playing before you stopped, because that's the only thing that's going to do it for you. And you're just going to wreck yourself again, 10 times quicker than you did last time. Um, so that's why you don't want to do that. Interesting. So, how long in total have you been, where were you addicted? What age was it again? I think you said around 18. 
No, so I really didn't st- like. I didn't start gambling. Compl- I didn't gamble compulsively that long. It was um, cause I'm 33 now, and um, like I gambled a decent amount, but I didn't really start doing it where it was a big problem until you know I was about 30, so four years ago. Like I would go to Atlantic City and stuff, and I would you know go blow X amount of dollars, and I'd be like, oh, no big deal. I'm not gonna come back for six months, right? For me, it was when the accessibility came in was online casinos and the legality of that and online sports books and being able to do everything you know, with a, a few clicks of a button through a phone was when I had that accessibility to be able to do it over and over again without having to go anywhere. I don't have to leave my house. That was where it was dangerous. And especially when I was feeling crappy and I had, you know, bad vibes going on in my life. I was making poor decisions, which just pushed me towards, you know, making bets and things like that. So it was, it was a few years ago and then I was, it was a year and a half, two years where I had a serious issue. And then, you know, October, you know, something, October 1st, when I think I came clean, my wife told us what was going on. Uh, I got to a GA meeting on October 7th. Um, I think I gambled the next day. And then for whatever reason, October 9th of 2019, I, I made my final bet. And, you know, I had so many people tell me that I was gonna fail because the program is full of failures as far as like your attention rate. And I like, I just, at first I took it hard and said, you know, screw, screw everybody. I'm just not going to gamble because you're telling me I can't not. Um, it didn't have anything to do with recovery or, or anything about bettering myself. And that's how it was for six, the first six months. Just, just don't gamble. That's all I have to do is not gamble. And by going to rooms and listening over and over again, hearing these stories of how people were happy is like, I slowly came to the realization, like I have to actually change something. I can't just, you know, I can't just not gamble. I could be a jerk, jerk off that doesn't gamble the rest of my life, but I don't want to be that. I want to be, you know, someone that people enjoy being around or someone that can help other people. Um, so about six months in, you know, started looking at the steps and saying, Hey, what are these little changes that I can make in my life to, to make me a better person? Cause if I can be a better person, then I'm not even going to have thoughts of doing anything that are self-destructive. You say you started doing the steps. What was your first impression of the steps when you first read them? <laughs> um, this isn't for me, you know, and I think a lot of people feel that way. In yeah, I did. Like, this is a lot of work. Why would I do this? I just need to not drink or not do drugs or not gamble or whatever. That's the only thing I have to do, which is, you know, completely backwards. Yeah, I remember, I remember a lot of the God stuff turned me off. Um, which is, it's not, not to say I don't believe in God. It's just to say, I didn't know at the time how desperate I actually was to get better. You know what I mean? But then eventually, like you said, once you realize you need to get better, you kind of take a second look at them and they mean something different. No, absolutely. It's, it's so funny when you start taking things in so much differently because in GA, we have, a, we have what they call the yellow book, and it's about 17, it's 17 pages of the principles and guidelines of the program. And I remember reading and saying, all right, I don't like this. I don't like this. This sounds okay. I'll do that. I won't do this. I won't do this. And everybody that I talked to said, if you do things your own way and then just don't, and don't follow the principles of the program, you're going to end up two ways. A, you're going to end up relapsing, or B, you're just going to be you know, a jerk that doesn't, that doesn't gamble. And both are pretty terrible. You know, there, I've met plenty of people in the program, the guy who has 40 years, but I, I think, you know, in my personal opinion, I just don't think he's a good person. I think he has 40 years of abstinence and zero recovery. Uh, I don't want that. I want recovery all the way. I, I just want, I want to be able to, to be able to look in the mirror. It's like, you know, I enjoy waking up every day. I enjoy talking to people. I enjoy 
sharing my story. I'm not ashamed of who I am. Um, and, and it's funny because I would never be the kind of guy who would talk about anything. And now I'll tell, I'll tell a you know, homeless guy on the streets, like, hey, guess what? I'm in recovery. And I always get a kick out of it because I have friends, I have, you know, just like anybody else, I have friends who aren't because they don't have a problem. And it's hard for them to grasp it sometimes. And sometimes when I go off on these tangents talking about recovery and what I do, they, I, not that they're rolling their eyes at me, but it's like, oh, he's, he's doing that thing again where he's talking about his feelings and I'm not sure how I'm supposed to respond to this. Yeah. And that's okay. And I feel, but I feel so thankful to be able to do that. I've had discussions with, you know, my superiors at work about that. I had somebody who came back into our line of business at my job who I hadn't seen in two years. I said, they said, hey, what's been going on the last three years? And I think I said nothing about work. I think I just talked about me and what was going on in my life and I, and I blew their mind in a good way. I said, it's not what I was expecting to hear, but it's really great to hear that, you know, you're able to talk about those things. Um, I'm past the point of being ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I, I, you know, I love who I am. I try to be the best version of myself every day. If I can share my story and, and, and help anybody along the way, even if it's only one person every so now and then, then that's all that matters. Um, we need more people to, to be able to share that message of recovery and saying, Hey, things can get better. You know, if you, if you put in the work, if you completely surrender that you're powerless over whatever your addiction is, you can, you can get better and you can have, you know, a life that you always wanted to have every day. And, and, and it's an amazing thing to be able to experience. And I, and I wish everybody could, I wish that everybody that I saw came into, came into a room because, you know, I get it. People come into rooms, they might see them that day and you might never see them again. And they're like, this isn't for me. These are a bunch of weirdos. I'm not ready to commit yet. But, you know, if you can get that message to one person, whereas, you know, someone was able to get it to me for whatever reason, you know, I don't know why I'm one of the lucky ones. Um, it's a miracle. You know, anybody who's in recovery and, and, and practicing that is, is a testament to that. I actually never heard of the yellow book. Is there anything that you learned specifically from there that you think you should share? You know, anything that stood out to you? Um, it's, you know, it's really, I think the biggest thing is there's in, in some of the, the books and there's some like worksheet books and they talk about character defects. It's like, t- and then there's like a list of like 50, you know, and there could be hundreds, but when you, when you take a look at character, whether it's like, you know, lying or your bigotry or your know, anger or resentment, um, taking a look at all those, those words and realizing you know, how much of it that you either relate to or realize you used to relate to. Those are the things for me realizing, like, I thought I was this nice guy. I'm, I'm really not. <laughs> so I have all these horrible, horrible things that I do, like, on a daily basis, right? And, you know, and it's, and it's impossible to cure all those things, right? We're, we're, we're human at the end of the day. We make mistakes every day. And, you know, we're, sometimes we're mean-spirited. But if we can be aware of, you know, the things that we can improve on, like, for me, like, character defects is, like, one of the biggest things that I try to try to push on people is, is being aware of those and, and how to fix them. So how strong were you in your recovery? Do you think if you were in a position where people were going out to the casino for a weekend, you think you'd be able to spend a weekend there without gambling or it'd be too tempted? Um, do I think I could go and not gamble? Sure. But I would be miserable. Um, so it's still, you know, the yellow book, talks about not putting yourself in certain situations and knowing like for me, like I wasn't, I wasn't really a big sports player. I was a casino guy. So there's really no reason for me to ever go to a casino. 
even if I wasn't going to gamble, there's nothing to do there. And if I just go there, I'm just going to be miserable because I'm going to kind of have the heebie-jeebies and stuff like that. So, you know, the book tells, you know, says, says, hey, don't test or tempt yourself, right? So there's really no point for me to do that. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't need to be conceited in a way of saying, oh, I feel confident I wouldn't gamble. I guess I do, but I don't, there's no, there's no point. Like, I, you know, I don't have to go hang out with friends who are going to, you know, go out and do something like that. And the best part is the, the, when you're in the program, you tend to drift away from people who are going to drag you down anyway. Like I had a couple of like gambling buddies who do that all the time. I don't really talk to them anymore. Not because I tried not to, it's just because they know I'm in recovery. So they know I'm not going to go gamble with them. So we don't have that much in common anymore. You know, I've got plenty of friends who, who gamble, not a lot, just, you know, might do a football pool here and there and, you know, they don't, they're respectful and don't talk about that stuff. And, and that's okay too. But it's like at the same time, it's like being aware is like, what's the best for my recovery? Going to Atlantic city and going to a casino or going to Las Vegas, like absolutely not. I'll give you a good example. Like my, my brother lives out in Colorado and he says, Hey, do you want to go to this wrestling event in Las Vegas? I said, I don't think I should be going to Las Vegas. And he goes, Oh, don't worry. I'll make sure you're good. I said, it has nothing to do with me being good. It's how this about me being in a better state of mind. Me walking around the strip in Las Vegas is not going to put me in a good state of mind. Am I going to gamble? I don't think so. But why would I even put myself in that position to be miserable? That's absolutely true. So friends and family, how are they during this whole thing? Um, you know, my brother is supportive. I don't think he really understands. My sister's kind of similar. I take most of my support through the rooms that I go to. I have a really great sponsor. Um, you know, I go to a couple meetings a week and, and have really good chats with people. Um, ultimately, most of my support is coming from people within the program. Um, not to say that I don't have friends who are supportive of me, but when someone doesn't fully understand the, you know, the powerfulness and grasp that addiction can have on you, um, you can get all the support in the world from them. But when you can't sometimes have that conversation with somebody, like I, I have an example, like my neighbor, who lives next to me is an AA and we have, I can't tell you when we, I don't even know when it came up and we somehow found it like, Oh, you're an AA. Oh, you're in GA. It just completely blew the doors off of what our conversations were about. And then we, now we talk about recovery all the time and it might be something silly or they might have a bad day and we might just have a chat or get tacos and get pizza and just talk about life on life's terms. Um, so people in the program are most helpful for me, you know, my sponsor has given me the best of some of the best advice I could ever get. And and what he tells me is get comfortable being uncomfortable, you know, do the opposite of what you think. If you I don't heard want to old timer in a rehab. Yeah. It's like, do, you know, you don't want to go to a meeting, go to a meeting. You don't want to go to the gym, go to the gym. Um, you don't like talking to people, talk to people. And it's amazing because now like I'm not perfect, but I'm still a little bit introverted. And sometimes like I don't necessarily want to, you know, be super social, but, you know, making progress in that department and being able to help people, it has been paramount. And what's amazing is I'm two and a half years into this and I have, you know, I'm 33 years old. So a lot of, you know, I'm a young guy, but there, you know, we get really young people in the program all the time because just the accessibility of gambling, this 23 year old kid came, has come and gone a couple of times. And he asked me to be their sponsor. And I, and I remember saying, why? I said, what have I done to deserve to be somebody's sponsor? Like what wisdom could I give you? And, and, you know, I guess that's not really for me to decide. I just, I'm just trying to I wear my recovery on my sleeve and say, Hey, it can get better. And if, and if somebody feels that I can help them, I, I'll do my best to try to. Um, I think it's the best way to give back because I've gotten so many things 
from my sponsor. You know, I was, when I picked my sponsor, I, I had two or three people I was thinking about. And I remember the guy that I picked was the one I liked the least. And that's why I went with them. Um, I thought he's the kind of guy who give you a hard time when, when you really deserve it. And if you do something that's not right, he's going to tell you. And that's, those are the things I need. I need somebody that's going to be on my case and just tell it like it is and not be like, Oh no, everything's okay. You'll do better next time. Like, no, do better now. Like, you know, your recovery depends on it. You need to make right decisions each day. Not to say that they're mean or anything like that, but just having, you know, that level set is like, Hey, I'm going to hear what I need to hear. Not what I want to hear is, is perfect for me. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. So I know you said uh, he gave you some great advice as far as be comfortable or get comfortable being uncomfortable. Is there any other advice you would give to people that are listening or watching? Um, you know, take it slow, right? At least, you know, for myself, we dig ourselves a hole over a long period of time. And then when we finally want to try to help ourselves, we want to fix everything at once. I remember thinking, like, I owe all this money to people. I have to pay it back. I have to do this. I have to get out of debt. I have to take on three jobs to do all that. And the biggest thing that was given to me is like, hey, take it slow. You, you didn't create this problem overnight and you're not going to fix it overnight either. It's going to be slow. And, you know, my sponsor also told me, goes, I wish you a slow and painful recovery because you need a stark reminder every day of how you got here in the first place. You know, that's why GA is against bailouts. If somebody gave me X amount of dollars for me to get out of debt, what did I learn? I learned nothing out of it, obviously. You know, I could just go back and make the same mistakes again. But if I, you know, I'm slowly paying back what I owe and, and making amends slowly, then it's a reminder that, hey, this is what can happen and this is how you get better. So being patient, you know, I think I would, those are the two words I would say, be patient. Yeah, I know you said that uh, it was never your thing. One of my last questions is, why do you think you chose gambling over like, you know, other substance abuse? Was there anything that led you in that direction or was it just, you know, I don't know. That's what I'm asking you. You know, it's a, it's a great question. It, it just, I found it exciting. I just, I, I there was just something about it, just the, you know, maybe it was that prospect of, you know, hitting it big or hitting a jackpot or winning money. Cause initially that's what it's all about is, you know, money. Um, having this fantasy land. It's like, I'm going to win all this money and go on these vacations and buy things for, for people. I think that's what it was rather than, you know, you know, drinking myself to death or trying to get like a new high with, with drugs or something. And, but it, I, I truly believe it really could have been one of those things, but I just happened to gravitate towards gambling first. And I, and, I, and sometimes I really don't know why that is. I just, I just happened to. Um, and, and it's silly because I feel like I should have seen it coming because, you know, when I go to AC, I blow a lot of money or I'd be the kind of guy I go play like a scratch off ticket. If I won five bucks, I'd go buy another one. And then one twenty bucks, I'd go buy five more. And then by the end of the week, I would buy like 20. And then I would finally take a step back. Like, okay, calm down. Um, but it wasn't until that online stuff, I just, couldn't stop for what, for whatever reason. And it, it's hard for me to explain that to people because a lot of people say, like, Hey, you know, I get it. Drugs, you can get physically addicted to, so you need it. But it's like, why can't you just stop gambling? I said, it's, it's similar, but different. And it's hard to explain. And I'm not sure why I gravitated towards it, but for whatever reason, that was me. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap it up unless there's anything else you wanted to add. Um, no, I think that's it. You know, my only, you know, advice for people is if you know you're in trouble 
ask for help. You know, someone can point you in the right direction and call an 800 number, talk to a friend, talk to anybody. Um, holding these things in can be dangerous. And the best thing you can do is just, you know, raise your hand and say, Hey, I have a problem or I need help. Absolutely. That's, that's another great, great piece of advice. So for everyone that's listening and watching, go below, give us a like, also subscribe so you can see when we upload new podcasts. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Instagram. Um, go to the Facebook group and click on the events tab and you'll see the information for our daily Zoom meetings. Hope to see you there. And for today, that's all I got. Until next time.